Just pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would just open your word to our hearts. And Lord, may we learn new truths about you. Help us, Lord, to take your word to heart and to, to serve you as you will. But Lord, in all things we may honour and glorify your precious name. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, it must have been a great sight in Liverpool just a few years ago when the three liners, the Cunard liners, the Queen Elizabeth and um, uh, Queen Mary II and Queen Victoria came down the Mersey. And many people went to, to see this spectacular sight. It was the, they were there to celebrate the 175th anniversary of the Cunard cruise line. Liverpool had been the main office for Cunard until about 1967. So many people visited Liverpool to see these three liners together on the Mersey. Now, I think Queen Elizabeth is about over a thousand feet long and um, about 100 feet in breadth and about uh, 100 feet in height above the waterline. How does this compare with Noah's Ark? Well, it was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and about 50 feet high. Noah's Ark was approximately the length of one and a half soccer pitches. NASA could lay three space shuttles on the roof of the Ark. It was four storeys high. Its storage capacity was about 450 standard Eddie Stobart trucks. Each one holds about 250 sheep. So the ark could hold at least 120,000. So that's irrelevant, really. It's only appropriate to Cumbrian farmers. But this vessel was very big. And as the art near completion, I wonder if people came from all around in the thousands to see this boat craning their necks and looking. And as for whether it would float on water, well, nobody knew. Because it was nowhere near the ocean. I wonder if people called it Noah's Folly of the folly of all follies. Here was this grand-looking structure, which when finished, is of no use to anybody. How people must have scratched their heads and really mocked, gripping their sides, laughing. A ship on dry land, Isn't this how people react today to any thought of the Lord Jesus coming again? They mock. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, says Peter. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Now listen to what Jesus says. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be the, at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, 
up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, says Jesus. In other words, people will scoff and then tomorrow morning get up and get on with life. It's just another day. That's what it would be like when I shall come again, says Jesus. But this flood is historical. There's nothing, there's no mythology here. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah. It's history. And for 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth and the waters increased. They lifted the ark um, above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. Here we see the universality of the flood. And this is important because a universal flood speaks of a universal judgment. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Here is God's judgment. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Here we talk about universal judgment. But there's two things that we need to note. And it's the decision which God pronounced and the shelter which God provided. And so the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, the birds of the earth. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. One of the arguments that is often used against the story of the flood is that God would never do such a thing like that. Wipe out, put an end to, destroy. You see, that's not the language which you use about God. Someone once said, modern man either does not believe God exists or he believes that if he does exist, he is such a nice guy that he would not be unkind enough to judge anybody or anything. And when we talk about such judgment, we need to know what lay behind it. What we see is man going as far as he can in sin. And God going as far as he can with man. We read in verse 5 of chapter 6, The Lord saw. He misses nothing. God saw all that he had made and it was very good we read in Genesis 1. And God looks out on his creation, it's brilliant. And now he looks out on all that he can see and it's all bad. It's heartbreaking. 
the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. Verse 5. The Lord saw. These are some of the most solemn words in the Bible. He not only sees the things we want him to see, he sees the things we don't want him to see. That we try to hide. He misses nothing. In those opening chapters of Revelation, when he speaks to the seven churches, the Lord says time and time again, I know, I see. And see the extent of man's sin here. Moral corruption leading to physical violence. And now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. The word corruption speaks of this moral and spiritual decay. Sin eats away, destroying within us the moral and spiritual good. And we see its deep rootedness and universality. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. You see, this sin affects every part of our lives. He saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. See what sin had done in these days where men began to increase in number on the earth and, the, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Now these are difficult verses to interpret. The easiest solution to what they say is to take the sons of God as meaning the godly line of Seth and the daughters of men as the ungodly line of Cain. In other words, what we see here is the language of Paul in 2 Corinthians. Believers being unequally yoked to, to unbelievers, in other words, the godly beginning to live according to ungodly standards. The harder solution is to say that the sons of God are fallen angelic beings. But if you have any ideas on these verses, then please share with them with me afterwards. Satan was seeking to so infect the whole human race that deliverer could not come. In other words, what is being spoken of here is the demonization of society. And that's not hard to believe today, is it? When the voice of Christianity by others is trying to be silenced by our secular society today. But we see the extent of God's goodness towards man. And this goodness is especially seen in God's amazing patience in face of such wickedness. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. That's how long God patiently waited. A hundred and twenty years. And what did God do during this time? If God did not spare the ancient world when he thought the flood on its ungodly people, but he protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness. He sent them Noah, but look again at this verse. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is, a, is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. 
There is a day when God's patience comes to an end. He will not contend or strive with man any longer. How did Paul express this? He says in Romans chapter 2, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Tolerance, patience, not realising that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. And this was Noah's message in his preaching to this wicked world. Not only do we see God exercising patience, we see God expressing grief. The Lord was grieved that he'd made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. He was broken hearted. In other words, when God pours out his judgment, he's not untouched by it. As the rain began to fall on that world, the tears of God were mingled with it. You see, the extent of man's sin, man going as far as he can in sin, and the extent of God's goodness, God going as far as he can with man until he says no more. But I want to say the shelter which God provided. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy them and the earth. So make yourself an ark. We speak of Noah's ark. It was God's ark. It was God's blueprint. It was God who purposed it and designed it as his perfect provision for Noah's salvation. There was only one way to escape the judgment which was, uh, which was there. And, and in verse 14, there's a, there's a word that's used here, kafah. And we get from it Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It means to cover over. And in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 14, the Lord said to Noah to cover the ark inside and outside with pitch. Cover the woodwork. And that's the word used in the Old Testament for atonement. The covering over of sin so that it is out of sight, out of mind. It's not sweeping it under the carpet. Because then, it's out of sight, but it's not out of mind. It's still there. Gay says to me, Oh, you're going to Stafford this morning. Would you pick up some things from Tesco's? And I say, yes, dear, because I always have the last word. And it makes for a happy marriage. And I'll go to Tesco's, provided you give me a list and give me some money. I put the goods on the trolley, but they don't belong to me. They belong to Mr. Tesco. And they represent my debt. And at the checkout, the money is handed over and the debt is covered. The debt is paid. So it can never raise its head again and make an accusation. And this word, kafa, the price I pay will cover your indebtedness 
so that it will never raise its head or be mentioned again. It's gone. In other words, there was only one way to escape this judgment which was coming on the earth and it was in the ark provided by God. Do you not hear preaching this? Noah was a preacher of the cross. Because this is what the ark represents. How was Noah saved from this judgment? In the words of Paul, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. You see, Noah was saved by grace. And this is what we're told. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. The word favour literally means grace. And this is the first mention of grace in the Bible. He found favour. Isn't that God looked around and found someone who was good enough? For him to be gracious towards, oh no, it means that Noah was deserving of judgment just like anybody else. He was a sinner. But that God poured out his grace upon him and changed him. And what we read of them, this is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. This is the effects of grace. But Noah was saved through faith. Noah's faith is seen in the building of the ark, so make yourself an ark. Noah did everything that God commanded. But not just in the building of the ark, in his entering of the ark. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And it's this faith that Noah is commended for in the letter to the Hebrews. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save the family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes by faith. There are in fact two things that go together here. God says to Noah, seven days from now, what we see during these seven days is man's persistence in unbelief and Noah's obedience of faith. Noah preaching and the people mocking. But you know the important thing is this, that all through these seven days the door of that ark was still open. It's just like Jeremiah announced this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for, the, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you say, we will not walk in it. Look not only at your sinful disregard for the Lord, but also at his saving power. Ask about the proven ways of old. Walk in them. But the response was, we will not walk in it. It happened at the end of the seven days, in the 600th year, 600th year 
of Noah's life on the 17th day of the second month. On that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the Lord shut him in. In other words, the door which God had held open, God was to close shut. These words speak of two things. They speak of terrible finality. Remember Jesus' parable of the wise and foolish virgins? The door was firmly shut. I was preaching in in, in the late district on this passage uh, a few years ago now, and I talked about the terrible finality. And after the service, I heard one of the congregations say to a retired clergyman, I found that offensive. And the clergyman said, so did I. But you see, it speaks of terrible finality, but it also speaks of wonderful security. For Noah and his family, the storms of God's judgment was to rage around him, but in the ark, they were safe and secure. And that's the gospel. This is the security you and I have in Jesus Christ through his death and through his resurrection. One who has defeated death and the grave. Nor received God's revelation in his mind. He was stirred in his heart and he obeyed what God told him to do. And so must we. His faith involved the whole person. His faith influenced his whole family. His faith indicted the whole world. His faith inherited the whole blessing. When Noah stepped out of the ark, he inherited a new world. And one day God's people shall inherit new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, says Peter. We shall enter into the fullness of the inheritance and we shall enjoy it for all eternity. In the message of Noah, there's a finality, but there's also a wonderful security for those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.